He's, uh, well, you're usually sleeping about this time during the week, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. That's got to be tough to work nights and then have a normal day on a one day of the week. Or... Anyway, sure thankful. Thankful for faithfulness. And uh, those that just work work around, we're thankful for that. And uh, glad, thankful for Alan leading the music. Amen. Thankful for that. So, now don't let it go to your head. You know how easy stuff gets to Alan's head, right? Just floating around like... <laughs> uh, I, uh, let, me, let me move on before I say too much. I'll tease with you later. So. At, the, uh, at the time of Jeremiah's writing, Israel has been taken into Babylonian captivity. For nearly 800 years, God had been warning Israel through the prophets that judgment was coming if they didn't return to Him, but Israel was fully engaged in idolatry. Idols were in the temple. When when Hezekiah came in, when Asa came in, when Josiah came in, after bad kings, they'd have to go and clean out the land. And one of the things they would do is they'd clean out the temple, it was Josiah who went in and had to remove all of the idols that were actually placed in the temple. And I'm telling you today, we're not very far from that uh, today. And these supposed houses of God that probably need to be cleaned out of all of their idolatry as well. But idol, idols were almost in, in almost every home. Idols throughout Israel were all in the high places. They were, they were in these areas that they had designed and built to worship their idols uh, throughout the land. I mean, all around you go into these high hills and mountains and these groves and trees would be planted. Here their idols would be set up. The kings were idolaters. The priests were idolaters. The prophets were idolaters. The people were idolaters. And no longer was it some isolated thing with the foreigners that were still living in the land that they had brought with them. It had become a part of the fabric of Israel. The apple of God's eye The apple of God's eye had left him and gave their heart to non-existent dead gods. Things that that, that didn't even, weren't even alive. The one I just mentioned the other week over in Isaiah, I think it is, or maybe it is here later in Jeremiah. It is later in Jeremiah where God said they can't, you, you have to pick them up and take them with you. They're such wonderful gods. They can't even move on their own. You've got to carry them around. They were pathetic where they were. And I, as I said, we're watching this in our own nation, among our own churches and among our own people. Just idolatry, idolatry springing up everywhere. And the greatest idol that we are confronting today is the idol of self. I mean, good grief, you have shows called American Idol, and people just want to be the idol of a nation. It's all about self. It's all about humanism. It's all about uh, hedonism and everything else that is self-related, that puts ourselves on the throne uh, of, of, uh, of our heart. And we ask ourselves, how does this happen? How does it get to this place? How does a heart that was in love with God, how does a heart that was in love with God drift away? How does it drift away? How have, how, how have some maybe in this room, how have you drifted away? How are some, maybe you're, you're watching online, how have you drifted away? Maybe you're going to be watching down the road at a later point, you'll get online and you'll find this. And I would ask you, as if you were here today, how have you drifted away? What is it that caused it? To happen, Though there are many reasons that some may attribute to the drifting away from God, I want to point you to a, one of the reasons, which I think is maybe one of the biggest reasons why we drift from God, and it's revealed here in our text. And I want to look at the title this morning, False Accusations and Cold Hearts. False accusations and cold hearts. How many remember when you first got saved? How many, amen? How many remember that? Amen? I mean, boy, I'm telling you what, that should have been a hell of you. Has it gotten old? Has it gotten wore out? Are you tired of being saved? Anybody? Are you tired of the thought of not going to hell? 
I mean, I know that kind of gets boring after a while when you think, I'm not, oh boy, here we go, not going to hell. Ta-da, whatever, right? Come on, man, you're born again child of God. You're going to heaven forever and ever and ever. Praise the Lord of that. You remember the day you got saved. You remember when everything was new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 We're told that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That is a present tense fact. Right there, you are in Christ Jesus today and all things have become new. You remember the day maybe, I hope you do, when you never felt so clean as you felt that day. You remember the time when you couldn't help but tell somebody about it. Psalm 102, the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And you remember the day you got saved and you just had to say so. You just had to tell somebody. You just had to bring it up somehow. Maybe you couldn't wait to get baptized. Maybe you couldn't wait to get get into the word of God. Maybe Jesus, as we saw in our in our lesson this morning in Sunday school, that he was so real and he was so close and his presence was right there, right there. And you 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 re, you you recognize and you that uh, that old hymn was a reality reality to you where where that chorus says, and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me that I am, I am his own. And the joy that we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. You remember what it was like to be a born-again child of God. And, uh, and you remember that, that time. And, it's, and it was that time of your life that those sour Christians say, Oh, you're in that honeymoon stage of your Christianity. Isn't that sweet? Oh, it'll pass. Oh, shut it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Just stop it. Go be sour somewhere else. Don't ruin somebody's day like that. Just because you're out of the will of God doesn't mean everybody's going to get there, right? But you remember what it was like to be a child, to be born again, that those first few steps that you took as a child of God, what a wonderful time that was. But it is possible, I know these sour Christians are speaking from that place because they got there, and I know it's possible for anybody of us in this room to get there, but it is possible that little things began to change. No, there's some great changes of, of your life towards godliness, but sometimes as time goes on, some things begin to creep in and the new began to wear off. Why is that? Is there really a reason for the new to wear off? Well, I, no, no, I understand in this world you get a new car and the new car smell goes away. You get a new house and that new house smell goes away, right? But listen, we're talking about eternal life. We're talking about something that will never die. Does that really, should that really just wear away? Should it really just become commonplace? Should we really come to the place of going, well, you know, you know, praise the Lord, I'm a Christian. I'm here. Yay. I mean, come on, man. Yeah. Maybe habits that you thought were gone forever begin to show up again. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah. It was devastating, wasn't it? You thought, I thought this was gone. I thought this attitude was gone. I thought this speech was gone. I thought these actions were gone. I thought this was gone. And you notice they started to hold, show up a little bit, maybe over and over. Maybe people didn't receive your good news like they, that you thought they should. And, and disappointment began to maybe settle into your life a little bit. And maybe your Bible reading began to wane. And maybe you could feel the distance we talked about this morning between you and God. And maybe you came to the place where you thought, oh, yep, here we go. I guess the honeymoon is over. And there's visible evidences, friend. There are visible evidences of a heart gone cold. There's a couple different lines that you'll see. One of them you'll notice, it, sometimes you just go through the motions. No, you're still at church, but you don't look forward to it. No, you still come randomly, but it's not just... Yeah. If they, if they, hey, listen, if there's one excuse, buddy, you're going to latch on to that one. Well, my goodness, the cat got wet. We're going to have to stay home and dry it. We're going to dry it. <laughs> I, I, boy, we, I was planning on coming, but I didn't know this was going to happen. Right? Right? When you got saved, I'm, I'm telling you, you got, the first time you got, when the first time you got saved, the, the, when you first got saved, right? Uh, this is in a Pentecostal church. When you first got saved, I mean, the house was burning down. You're like, ah, oh, 
Uh, well, nothing we can do about it. We'll just go to church, right? Praise the Lord. Give a prayer request. House is burning down, but we wanted to be at church. I mean, tell her, you know there was a difference, friend. You know there was a difference when you first got saved to where maybe, maybe where you are even today. I hope not, but it's possible you're there today. Maybe there is, you, you, you began to get bitter at giving and the Bible, your Bible reading became a drag and you did it just because you thought you had to. Maybe that desire to tell somebody about what God had done in your life has kind of gone away and maybe secretly you're back to worldly habits. You're back to finding comfort in the world. You're back to worldly entertainment. You're back to the music that reminded you of the old life. And maybe you're back to the things that identified with the old life. You've just gone back to the leeks and onions. Now, it might look okay on the outside. Maybe nobody, I mean, would see all of it. They can tell something's wrong. But boy, you're, you're trying to keep it. But there's something wrong. Are you there? Or maybe you're just completely checked out. There are those that are rarely at church. Can I tell you, one time a week at church is not enough, friend. Could you imagine eating once a week food? Job said, I need thy word more than thy necessary food. And there are people, I'm not, listen, they have the opportunity and they just stay home. I am convinced, I, I mean, we don't have a television, so I, I don't, I don't, it just dawned on me one day. I wonder if there's like programs that people just sit at home on Wednesday night and just would rather watch them instead of coming to church. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, oh, my show's on. I don't know. I know that happens. I've heard of it. I'm not accusing. I'm just wondering if that goes on. Or Sunday night, somebody else, something else comes up, right? Remember the day, you know, neighbors showed up and you're like, well, hey, we're going to church. You coming? No. Well, I, we'll be back later. And now it's like neighbors show up and like, oh. Boy, we can't. Well, boy, we wanted to. I mean, come on. Some people have absolutely checked out. You cannot thrive. You cannot thrive in your Christian life on one service of church. I'm sorry, you can't do it. You really can't. You could do okay on one. You can do better on two. But I'll tell you, you'll really thrive on three. It rhymes too. That's the be- that's the best part of it. Three to thrive. You like that? Yeah. Hey, but maybe you've checked out. There's no giving. There's no Bible reading. There's no prayer. There's no witnessing. You begin to look and act like the world. I mean, just there's no no doubt about it. Something has gone on in the life. Maybe you've gone back to living uh, the old life. One of the saddest the lines that Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4 when he said, For demon hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, he has departed unto Thessalonica. He went home. He went back to the world. He left the ministry. No, this happens in life, doesn't it? This happens. A drawing away, a waning away, a, 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 uh, a drifting of the heart away from God. No, it might not look so bad on the outside, but it's there in the heart. Or maybe it's so bad that it shows up everywhere and you've just totally checked out. How do you get there? I don't know, maybe that's you today. How did you get there? How did you get there? You know, some of the reasons that people give for the decisions in life. Some of those reasons, they're an age-old problem. They're an age-old excuse. They've been around forever. I want want you to remember three people. I want you to remember Eve, and I want you to remember Moses, and I want you to remember Adam. They are all people, all three of them, are individuals who blamed somebody for their current condition. Eve blamed the snake. The serpent beguiled me and made me eat, right? No, no. She had the word from Adam, her husband, who had the word directly from God not to do it. But she said, the snake made me do it. Remember when Moses smote the rock the second time? And he said, you're a bunch of stiff-necked and rebellious people, you know, and God will give you water. He hits the, the rock twice and God told him to speak to it. God came to Moses later and said, uh, you disobeyed. You're not going into the land. And even Moses blamed the people for hitting the rock. Yeah. But Adam did it too, you know. Adam did it too. When God came, came to Adam, God, God, or Adam blamed as well. But who did he blame? If you're not careful, you'll think that Adam blamed the woman, but he didn't. He said, it's the woman which thou gavest me. 
Go back and look it up. Adam had the audacity to blame God for where he was when his eyes were open, when he, when he listened to his wife and ate of the fruit and uh, sin came into the world. He blamed, he blamed God. Listen to me today. When a heart begins to blame God for the condition in their life, that heart will begin to back away from him. Are you listening to me? You know what blaming God does? It is inferring that there is unrighteousness in God. It is inferring, listen, it is is saying uh, that there is something wrong with God. That He did something wrong. Do you really believe that God is sinless and cannot sin? Do you really believe that there is nothing that God could do that would be considered wrong? Do you really believe that it's impossible for God to lie? Do you believe that? right do you really believe that god is without sin and can't sin all right thank you amen yeah you got to talk to me i'll take longer i will i mean it yeah do you know this is exactly what israel did look at jeremiah chapter two would you we're going to work our way up to chapter four look at jeremiah chapter two look at verses one through five Jeremiah chapter 2, 1 through 5. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem. Now remember, they're in bondage. They're in Babylonian captivity now. They have rejected the word of God, and God has left to having to chastise them. And he's crying to the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I remember thee, the kindness of thy youth, and the love of thine espousals, when thou wentest after me in the wilderness, in a land that was not sown. God says, I remember the, the relationship, Israel. I remember when you came after me. I remember when you sought after me. I remember when you wanted me. I remember when we had a relationship there. That was wonderful. Hey, church, uh, God says, I remember when you first got saved and you came after me and you wanted me and you desired me and you wanted that relationship with me. Look what he said is verse three, Israel was holiness unto the Lord and the first fruits of his increase. All that devour him shall offend. Evil shall come upon them, saith the Lord. They were in a place of protection. God was going to keep them from any harm whatsoever. Look at verse 4. Hear you the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, What iniquity have your fathers found in me that they are gone far from me? Do you see what he says here? God is reminiscing over the past. He remembers their fruitfulness. He remembers the, the victory that, that, that uh, defined the, the existence and the life of Israel. And, and then in verse 5, he says this, What iniquity have your fathers found in me? Please tell me, you're in Babylonian captivity. You have walked away from me. You have rejected me. You have rejected all of my pursuits to woo you back to myself. And you've said no. Please tell me, tell me, What iniquity is there in me that has caused you to walk away from me? What is it? What is God saying? What wrong have I done to make you walk away? What unrighteousness have you found in me to make you lose trust and make your heart cold? What have I done? We know in our personal life this follows through, doesn't it? We've seen this in our own personal lives. Maybe it was a broken relationship. I'm talking to you this morning. Personally, we're talking personally here. Maybe it was a broken relationship. Maybe it was a financial setback. Maybe it was a wayward child. Maybe it was a chronic illness. Maybe it was the death of a loved one. Maybe it was hardships while serving God. Maybe it was an un- un- unanswered prayer. Can you see it? Do you see what it was in your life? That thing that you're, you're just bobbing along as a Christian, as a new life in Christ, just loving the Lord and loving this new life, and something came into your life that you couldn't explain. So watch. When, when God said, What iniquities have your fathers found in me? Listen to me. So often a heart begins to wander from God because something came into our life, watch, that we blamed God for it. 
You say, I've never blamed God. No, we will never say it out loud. But it's here. It's right here. Something came into our life. Look what God said. What iniquity have your fathers found in me? What did I do to cause you to walk away? And friend, we do that, don't we? Sometimes things come into our life and we say, God, it was you. Like Adam said, the woman thou gave it. God, it was the trial. God, it was the financial setback. God, it was a wayward child. I thought I did everything right and they still went their own way. It was the chronic illness. It was the death of so-and-so. God, it was the hardships. It was the unanswered prayer. I, I just, I, 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 you've never said it out loud, but in your heart of hearts, you blamed God. You blamed Him. And there's a road to backsliding. No, no, something came in and you started to do this. You backed off. You just stepped away. It's slow. It's very slow. And chapters 2 and 3 shows Israel's progression. It shows their progression. Look at chapter, chapter 2. Look at verse 13. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And hew them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. They have forsaken the fountain. They have forsaken the spring. They have given up the spring water for a cup that's broken. They begin to back away. There is forgotten love. Look at verse 32. Can a maid forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. How often have those got up and just carried on your day with hardly a thought of God? Oh no, I'm not saying you don't think about them ever, but it wasn't like it used to be. I heard a man pray with his family. And he said, said, God, would you help us to go to sleep with you on our thoughts and wake up with you on our thoughts? What a beautiful thing that is. But so many have gone days without end with waking up of everything else on their mind but God. No, He comes once in a while, but it's just not there. God said to Israel, you've forsaken the fountain. You have forgotten the love that we had. There are in verses, in chapters 3, verses 6 through 8, there are two versions of backsliding that you'll see in a person's life. Look at verse 6, would you please? Chapter 3 and verse 6, The Lord said also unto me in the days of Josiah the king, Hast thou seen that which backsliding Israel hath done? Right? Now realize, people thought there was great revival under Josiah. There was not. There was great revival in Josiah's life and in his heart. But, but there were still prophets crying out against, uh, against the backsliding of Israel during the days of Josiah. And in God speaking to it right here, the Lord said unto me, In the days of Josiah the king, hast thou seen that which backsliding Israel hath done? She has gone up upon every high mountain and under every green tree, and there hath played the harlot. And I said after she had done all these things, Turn thou unto me. Boy, you talk about the mercy and grace of God. After she had played the harlot, after she had gone away from God, after she had forsaken him, after she had gone after something else, God says, Please come back. Please come back. I know what you've done. I know. Come back, please. But she returned not. She said no. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. Look, verse 8. And I saw, for when the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, had put her away and given her a bill of divorcement, yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but went and played the harlot also. The road to backsliding. There's two, there's two versions of backsliding here. The, the backsliding of Israel was visible. You could see it. She went out and played the harlot. Everybody knew it. She went away from God. Everybody knew it. But why was Judah so treacherous? Judah had Josiah. Judah had Hezekiah. Judah had Asa. Judah had godly kings here and there. But in their heart of hearts, they were no different than Israel, who had visibly gone away. Watch, Judah still looked okay. Everything on the outside looked fine, but inside, they were far away from God. Their heart was away. God calls that treacherous. Treacherous. 
You see, in verses 8 and 9, we see there that backsliding is spiritual adultery. God has done nothing to warrant the departure. Now, we understand there are some very unfortunate things that happen in people's marriages and infidelity comes in. And at times there's, there, there's uh, you know, there, there's some, uh, some people believe there's a warrant for a separation, for safety and things like that. There's, there are warrants and things at times. But, God, but in this case, no matter what you say, God had every right to do what he did. He did nothing wrong. He can't do anything wrong. God said, this is, this is none other than infidelity. This is, none other, this is none other than spiritual adultery. James 4, 4 says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Wow, you know, what a relationship that turned into, a love relationship turned into a couple of people as enemies. But yet God did nothing wrong. Backsliding. See, the backsliding Christian turns the tables on God. Look at verse 11 in chapter 3. And the Lord said unto me, The backsliding Israel hath justified herself more than, uh, than treacherous Judah. And this is what we, we do when we're away from God. We begin to justify ourselves. We begin, begin to justify why we're not in the Word of God. We begin to justify why, we're not have a, why we don't have a prayer life. We begin to justify why we uh, hardly darken the doors of a church or randomly or why things take precedence over the things of God. We begin to justify ourselves. It is a, it is a red sign. It is a blinking light that is, that it is a, putting out a warning sign to us that there is trouble ahead. It, it, there, there is backsliding going on and something needs to be done about it. Listen, friend, you'll, you, you will know you're in a backslidden condition when you are quicker to justify yourself than to justify God. To the person who's walking with the Lord, trouble comes into their life. They say, yeah, but God knows. God knows. Oh, they're so quick to justify God. But that backslidden heart, you know what they're quicker to justify? Is themselves. Verses 20 through 21 we see of chapter 3, it's a departure from a relationship. Surely as a wife treacherously departed from her husband, so have ye dealt treacherously with me, O house of Judah, saith the Lord. A voice was heard upon the high places, weeping and supplication of the children of Israel, for they have perverted their ways, and they have, watch, forgotten the Lord their God. They have forgotten Him. This is how a heart grows cold. This is how we drift from God. Something has come in to our life that we don't like, that we have blamed God for. It can be very subtle. It is rarely is it said out loud. It is deep set in our heart, and we respond to God as if there was some iniquity in Him, and we begin the process of backsliding. Boy, I didn't, right? I didn't, I, I didn't think. How did God allow that? Why would He allow this in my life? Why would He do this? Can I say this? We live in a cursed world and man has a free will and bad things happen to everybody. Nobody gets out of this life unscathed. And can I go further and say this? And this is where some really have trouble grasping. But God still had to allow it. Will you trust Him then? Something God, some things God orchestrates in our life that we don't like. That great hymn we sing once in a while, My Father Planned It All. You really believe that? No, there's some hard things to think over about that, friend. God really planned that? Well, He, didn't plan, he doesn't always plan some things, but He does allow. He has to allow all of it. Have you considered my servant Job? What did Job do? But Job came out much better at the end. No, I'm not talking. No, I'm not talking financially. I'm talking his understanding of God. At one point, Job said, "I thought you were like Leviathan. I thought you were like essentially a monster." Job had a wrong view of God, and through the trial, God—it was the only way God would allow get Job to understand who God really was. 
And he came to a wonderful understanding of who God was. He's not just some monster up there, right? Yeah. It's how our heart grows cold. It's how we drift from God. We blamed him. We respond to him as if he's done something wrong. You know, when you're blaming God, that's essentially what you're doing. You're saying that God has some iniquity in him. Because you've set up a moral. You've set up something, uh, you, you've established a moral that this is bad, and if this is bad, and God has allowed it, then God has allowed bad, and now God has some bad in him, and he has iniquity in him. And then you back away, slowly. Slowly back away. You know, there is a road home, though. If you're here today, if you're in this place today, you would be, you would be just brutally honest with yourself and say, yes, I have been blaming God for a lot of things. I've never said it out loud. I've never even said it to myself. But in my heart of hearts, yeah, I've blamed Him. There is a road home. Because you're not, listen, you're not at rest there. You're not at peace there. You're not. You can put on the facade all you want. Smile all you want. You have no rest. But thankfully, there's a road home. The return destination, look at verse 22. Return you backsliding children, and I will heal your backsliding. Behold, we come unto thee, for thou art the Lord our God. Return, ye backsliding. Return to what? It's not a return to what? It's not a return to religion. It's not a return to, a return to doing this checklist of things you've got. It's returning to Him. What, how do you return to God? Hey, backsliding isn't just the committing of sins. It's, sin is the evidence and the byproduct of a backsliding condition. But backsliding is the departure from a relationship and giving your heart to someone or something else beside God. That's backsliding. You've stepped away and you've slowly given your heart somewhere else where you think it's safer. Because God didn't do with it like you thought he ought to. And now you're going to slowly give it somewhere else. We return to God. We return to him. Why? Because in the backslidden condition, it is the heart. Watch. It is the heart that stepped away from God. He said, return. Return, ye backsliding children. Look at the promise. I will heal you. Of your backslidings. God wants us back. Why? Because He loves us. Because He loves us. He, hate what, he hates what has become of our life. He hates it. Look at verses 23 through 25. Truly in vain is salvation hopeful from the hills and from the multitude of mountains. Truly the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel. For shame hath devoured the labor of our fathers from our youth. Their flocks and their herds and their sons and their daughters. We lie down in our shame and our confusion covereth us. For we have sinned against the Lord our God. And uh, we and our fathers from our youth even unto this day. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God. Verse 23 you see here. There is a fake salvation. They, they, they're looking to the visible, the visual that is their salvation. The hills of Jerusalem are their protection and their armies and all of these things. And they have forgotten that it's God alone. I don't care how big of a wall you build. I don't care how big your military is. I don't care how mighty your nation is. I don't care how rich you are. Except the Lord build the house. They that labor, uh, build the house labor in vain, right? You can build the greatest nation in the world. But without God, it can crumble in a moment. And he said, I tell you, put your, you put your trust in other things. You have a fake salvation. Verse 24, shame. Your shame has ruined everything. In your life is just shame and confusion. Verse 25, sin and disobedience. This is what marks the backsliding life. Confusion, sin, and disobedience. It may not be, hey, listen, it may not be as overt, may not be as out in the open as Jerusalem, as Israel, but it might be hiding under the surface like Judah. But it's all the same because it's a heart that's away. 
God is calling us back. He's calling you back if you're there today. He's calling you back. How do we get back to that first relationship? How do we do that? Revelation 2.4, remember he told the church at Ephesus, I have somewhat against thee. It was a great church, wonderful church, but he said, I have somewhat against thee. You've left your first love. Wait, they were in the mechanics, the machinery of religion was churning just fine at Ephesus, but the heart wasn't there. They had to be goaded and prodded to come along. The heart was away. You can see it in their faces. You can see it in their demeanor. You can see it in their actions. There's three moves to make. There's three moves to make here to get a warm heart back to God. If you're away today, do you want back? Do you really want back? If you could admit that you're away from God today, do you want back? Can anybody say, hey, can anybody say, you know, I'd love to return to those first days. God told Ephesus, right? You've left your first love. He tells them to go back to it. How do you do it? Well, the Bible shows us here in chapter 4 and verse 1. There's three things that come and need to come to our life to bring us back to a place. Number one is return. Look at verse 1. If thou wilt return, O Israel, saith the Lord, here it is, return unto what? Return unto religion? Return unto works? Return unto... Uh, you know, doing this and doing that? No. He said, return unto me. What is the move going on here? It's a heart move. Friend, if you'll get your heart right, the, the outward stuff will take care of itself. It'll fall right in line. Church won't be an issue. The Word of God won't be an issue. Right? Spreading the, the gospel, it won't be an issue. When the heart's right. Return unto me. Wait, how do you return to God when you've blamed Him for the condition that you're in? How do you <clears throat> return to God when in the, in, in, in the recesses of your heart, in the hidden places of your heart that you've blamed Him and you think He's the fault for where you are? How do you return when you're like that? Well, it's real easy. Stop blaming Him. Come to the place of acknowledging and confessing before God, you were not wrong You've done nothing wrong. You didn't do this to me. You've done it for me. And I trust you and I believe you. And I'm done. I'm done blaming you. I'm, bl- I'm done blaming you for everything in my life. I'm finished. I trust you. Stop blaming them. Repent of your false accusations. Do you know when we blame God, we're falsely accusing Him? That's a horrible sin. We have a lot of false accusations going on in our culture today. Boy, you've got to be careful. You can't even say three words backwards or forwards or whatever way and you're going to be falsely accused of something. And nobody likes it. Stop blaming them and repent of the false accusations. You say, has anybody in the Bible ever done this? Yes. Remember that guy Joseph? How many remember that guy named Joseph? Remember what happened to him? Joe, Joe was sold by his brothers. He got a really raw deal. It's like... You know, from 17 to 39 was a raw deal in his life. Has anybody been sold by your siblings? Well, maybe I ought not to ask that. (laughs) Alan, you had some rough siblings, didn't you? They were pretty mean to you, probably. Sisters were the worst, probably. Yeah. And uh, sold to to another country? I don't care how bad you've had it. You never had a sibling... You know, sell, sell you to a roving band of Mexicans that were going back to Mexico, and you lived in, you know, you lived in Iowa, and here, here comes this uh, migrant farmers going back to Mexico, and your siblings sell you to them, and here you go, see you, buddy. Right? Well, you've never had that happen. No, friend, this is real. These aren't fairy tales. This, you know, I think the wickedness of Disney has invaded the. All of our, the truth of the Word of God, we just look at everything like it's some, you know, cute little story and quaint. No, this really happened. This guy got sold by his family. 
into another place and lied about. Ended up in a prison in a foreign country that he didn't want to be in. It, it ended up, yeah, well, great, ruler, second ruler. And that's a wonderful thing, but he still didn't want to be there. And you know what he said at the end of it all to his brothers? You remember this, when, when his brothers came in and groveling and before him, his response to his brothers were, hey, listen, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to save much people alive. You know what you find out in Joseph's life? He never blamed God. He looked at it and said, I trust you. You had a purpose in this. Yeah. What about Job? As Job began to turn the corner in his grief and begin to, begin to kind of get into a better uh, attitude and be, better understanding what was going on, he came to that place in his life. He said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. The Lord giveth. And the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. When, this, uh, when, this, when, this, uh, the, when the news begin to come back to Job about his, his, uh, his stuff is all gone and his ten children are dead and everything has been wiped around, out, the end of chapter 1 ends with these words that Job worshipped God. Wow. No. Think of David. I'm almost done. I'm going to bring this to a close. But look at Psalm 57, would you please? Psalm 57, David had been running from Saul. He's hiding in a cave from his father-in-law. He's been anointed king already. He knows he's going to be king. He has no desire. Listen, David had such a heart for God and such a heart for God's man that he had the opportunity to kill him and he would not do it. The Bible says his heart smote him. But friend, David is living through some terrible times. David is living through some great tragedy. And listen to what he says in verses 6 through 11. They have prepared a net for my steps. Psalm 57, my soul is bowed down. They have digged a pit before me into the midst whereof are they fallen themselves. Selah, my heart is fixed. Wow. He's, no, God has allowed this in his life. God has allowed the trouble in his life. He is running from, from this man. He has done no, Wait, David has done nothing wrong. And while the trials are all over him and he's running for his life, he says, My heart is fixed, O oh God. My heart is fixed. Look at this. I will sing and give praise. How many of us sang the last time the trials came into our life? How many, time, how many, how many of us the last time the tragedy struck that we praised God in the midst of it? Mm. Awake up, my glory. Awake, sultry in heart. I myself will awake early. He's stirring up his instruments to play unto the Lord. He said, I will praise thee, O Lord, among the people. I will sing unto thee among the nations. For thy mercy is great unto the heavens, and thy truth unto the clouds. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. What a response of David when the trials of his life are just as real. And, and, and he can't even wrap his brain around it. He says, ah. My heart's fixed, God. I'm going to praise you. That's a man that hasn't blamed God in his tragedies. That's a man that hasn't backslidden. That's a man close to God. What about the Apostle Paul? We could go through all of the list of the things that Paul lists of all the things that came about his life. Stonings and beatings and shipwreck and hunger and thirst and snake bites and, and rejection and all of the, the list and then the care of the churches and, and the care of the ministry and all of these things. Yet in 2 Corinthians 5.14 the Apostle Paul says, For the love of Christ constraineth us. Paul says, it's not my love for Christ that, that constrains me. It's the knowledge of Christ's love for me that pushes me on and continues on to have a heart for God. He came to the end of his life and he said, he said I'm, I'm ready. I have fought a good fight. I have, I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. And therefore, henceforth, there is a crown of righteousness laid up for me. And not only for me, not for me only, but also all those who love his appearing. The apostle Paul never got bitter at the trials of his life. He never blamed God for what came into his life in some, I mean, come on, think about it. Those of you that were, that pastored and were in the ministry, I'm telling you, you thought everything was going to be glory. You thought, well, now that I'm right with God and on the right place and in the line with what God, it's going to be wonderful and the churches are going to grow and people are going to flock here and people are going to get saved. We're going to baptize and you realize none of it happened and you go, hmm. 
And you could blame God or you could praise Him and say, God, I trust you. Thou knowest you've done nothing wrong. You have a purpose. You have a reason. Paul could have done this, but no. No, he says, you know what keeps moving me on? Jesus loves me, this I know. Amen. See, if you're going to return to God this morning, there are some things in your life that you're going to have to trust God that He brought them or that He allowed them. And you're going to have to trust Him that everything He has allowed is for your good and for His glory. Everything that He has allowed is to conform you to the image of Christ. Everything He has allowed is is so He could use you in the lives of others. You think you have no use to God? Of course you do. Maybe you need to understand this morning that maybe it's just possible. Maybe it's just possible that God has actually trusted you with some of these trials so He could use you. You ever see people go through some deep valleys? I've seen them. And I've seen, I've seen the joy in their face. I've, I've watched their confidence in God get, grow deeper and deeper. I've watched their testimony as, as, they, as they testify to those in, these, in their great trials. And all I can think is, my God trusted them with this one. Because He's getting so much glory out of their life. Are you listening? Return to Him. Return. Repent of the accusations. And turn your heart back to Him. Secondly, remove. Look at verse 1. If thou wilt return, O Israel, saith the Lord, return unto me. If thou wilt put away thine abominations, and if thou wilt put away the abominations out of my sight, then thou shalt not remove. Put away thine abominations. Get white. Get rid of the things that you replaced God with. Put away, hey, put away the things of your adulterous relationship with the world. Set aside the sin. Drop the things you fell in love with that steal your heart from God. You know what they are in your life if you're there today? Do you see them? Entertainment. Oh, tell you what, that's such a tool. Just the world, the flesh, the devil. Just the pull of the world, the pull of the flesh. Matthew 6, 24, Jesus said, No man can serve two masters. It's not possible. Either you'll hate the one, love the other, or else you'll hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. It's not possible. When we return to the Lord, we... We then need to remove some things. Whether it's a vice, whether it's a relationship that draws you from God. What a tragedy the life of the life of Solomon was when the opening of that chapter says in many he loved many strange wives. And they stole his heart from God. Hebrews 12, 1, Wherefore seeing we are encompassed by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight that does so easily beset us, and let us run the race that is set before us. Lay it aside. Hey, what weight, what weight are you holding on to? What weight have you replaced God with? What weight is it? What sin is it there that is between you and God? You notice the heart is first. Return is first. It's a heart move. Because Watch. Removal before returning only builds religion. See, what some people try to do is they just try to get all the sin out of there. Well, I've got to get rid of this and I've got to get rid of this. But deep in their heart, they're still blaming God for some things. And their heart hasn't turned back to God. You get, listen, if you begin removing before you begin returning, you're just going to build a huge checklist of religion. And it's empty. Return begins in the heart. Watch, the removing puts the heart into gear. Takes away, hey, take, gets the speed bump out of the way so the car can drive forward now, get to a destination. It removes the wall. And look at verse number, th- finally verse number one, number three, remain. 
Do you know remaining is only possible once the heart and the actions return to God? It's the only time it's possible. Psalm 62 and verse 6, David said, He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. I like that. Psalm 16, 8, I have set the Lord always before me because He is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. God said to, to remain, to remain. And actually what you see here, it's, it's the attitude that has changed once you remain. But if you notice here what has gone on, when, you, when your heart returns to God and you begin to remove the things that, have, that have, you have put between you and God, he, God says here, then thou shalt not remove. Well, this is an assurance of a placement. You're going to stay put. You're going to stay put. But finally, I want you to notice the attitude change. Look at verse 2. When your heart turns back, when you're removing the things that have got in the way, the sin that you've put between you and God, look at finally what begins to happen. You're staying put for a while, and thou shalt swear, the Lord liveth, the Lord liveth, in truth, in judgment, in righteousness, and the nations shall bless themselves in Him, and in, in Him shall they glory. The Lord liveth. What's that mean? Well, He's real again. See what happens when our heart goes back, when the thing between you and God gets put out of the way, when you come to a place of remaining in, the, in that relationship with God? I'm telling you, He becomes real again. We saw it in the Sunday school this morning. The Lord liveth. Look at this. In truth, what happens? You begin to trust Him again. In judgment. Hey, you believe Him again. You're believing Him again. In righteousness. What's this? No more accusations. No more false accusations. When the huge waves of life begin to roll and crash in, you may say, Lord, I don't understand it, but I trust You. I don't want to go back to where I was. I trust You. I trust You. Would you listen to me this morning? If your heart has grown cold toward God and you're in a state of backsliding, how would I define that? If you can recall a day that, that God was more real to you than He is today and you're closer than you are today, you are backslidden. Yeah. It could be. I'm not saying it is. But it could be that there's something that God has allowed in your life that you have pointed an accusation, a finger of accusation, and you begin to slowly walk away from them. I just really thought they were going to be receptive. I just really thought, after all that time and energy that we put into them, they would continue to serve God. I just really thought giving like we've given and sacrificing that we have in our tithes and offerings, I just really thought we'd end up better financially. could be that God has allowed something in your life and you've walked away. What do you do? Repent. Hey, just listen. Clear the table of it all and just say, okay, I trust you. I'm done with it. I trust you. I don't understand it. I trust you. I trust you. You know what happens when you'll do that? You begin to return your heart to God. You begin to remove the sin that you replaced with them. And then you'll stay put. Yeah. Is there anything you've been blaming God for? I'm not saying there anybody in this room is guilty of it. But I just know my flesh and I know our human nature and we're all the same. Maybe you've been there before in your life and you've already gotten victory over this. And you said, yeah, I've been there before. Boy, am I thankful the Lord brought me out of that. How did you get out of it? Well, I quit blaming them. I just trusted him. Did you understand what he was doing? No, I didn't understand it. Of course not. You really want a God that you can understand everything about? That doesn't sound like much of a God. You can't even understand your own self, and you're fine with that. <laughs> yeah. Trust him. Been blaming God for anything today? Is your heart away from him? I'm not telling you this. God is. God's saying, return to me, please. Return. Return. Trust me. And come back.
may not be huge, friend, may not be a big thing. They always start small. And if they're left alone, they will grow. Come back. Our Father, thank you for this today. There's so much we don't understand about this life. So many things that we don't comprehend that you allow into our life, we don't get it. And we know it's so easy, it's so easy. Though we would never do it out loud, we would never say it. But in our depth of our heart, we have pointed a finger and said, God, you did this. You allowed it. How could you do this? How could you allow this? We began the process of stepping away. If anybody's there today, your, your call to them is just as loud and clear and real as it was to Israel this day at Jeremiah. To come back. To trust you. To not need to understand it all, but just to trust you and return to that place of joy. Would you do that work today by the Holy Spirit? If there's anybody here that, that today, would you do that work today? Thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Maybe you just need to get alone with the Lord this morning. The instrument's going to play. Can anybody be honest and say in my life I've been there? I would never say it out loud. But I've looked at some things coming to my life that I haven't understand, understood, and I blame God for it. I have. Would anybody be so brave to raise a hand and say, "Yeah, it's me. I've been there." Anybody? Yeah. Yeah. Praise the Lord. God can't help you till you're honest with Him, friend. There's help for you, but there's no help until you're honest with Him. During the invitation here, would you just do business however the Lord tells you? Maybe whatever the incident was, maybe it's a series of things, whatever it is, maybe today you'd wipe them off the table and tell the Lord, I don't need to know anymore, I'm done. I'm going to trust you. I just want my heart back to where it used to be. Does it mean you're sticking your head in the sand? No, it doesn't. It means you're putting them on the God of the universe. And trusting Him. Let's stand this morning and we'll be closed in a word of prayer. Amen. Come back to him, would you? God is too wise to make mistakes. He's too wise. He's too good to do things to us. He does things for us, though we don't understand them. And uh, you have all lived long enough to know that. If you're here this morning and you're not even in Christ, you need to get saved before it's too late. Because if you leave this life outside of Christ, it is too late. It's too late. For who knows what may be on the morrow? For what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and vanishes away. You have no, listen, you have no assurance. You have no assurance of tomorrow. None. Come to him today. Brother Earl, would you close us in a word of prayer this morning? Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for loving us. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the word of God 
that shows us, Lord, who we are and what we're capable of and what we can do. Mm. 